Sorry for how long it's taken to get this episode edited and posted for you. Um, it was a little bit complicated as a topic, and I think it bears a little bit of introduction. So we had something else completely planned to record, and then I got an email from uh, Royal Caribbean that said that contrary to the policy that they had released previously, they were not actually going to require that all cruise guests who were eligible to be vaccinated uh, would be required to have a vaccination in order to sail with them when they resumed their sailings. And I was really concerned with the way that that was expressed. Um, and so I reached out to somebody who's been a, a touchstone for me really throughout this pandemic, um, somebody I've known for a really long time. She's uh, a, a doctor. She's uh, deals with uh, respiratory issues on, on a regular basis because she's a, a pediatric anesthesiologist. But she also happens to be um, a, a academic and she holds a master's degree in public health. So she's very well qualified to, you know, help us sort of untangle some of the confusion about um, vaccination and travel and the intersection thereof. Um, and so that's, that's really what we were shooting for here. Um, the second issue is that at the same time that I was reaching out to the guys to, uh, you know, talk about doing uh, a little bit different take on uh, this week's podcast topic, I was also sending an email to contacts at Royal Caribbean trying to get their feedback on their announcement and helping, you know, trying to get some some um, more information, something that would help me understand what they were trying to do better. And I wanted to wait till I got their response. Now, I can't um, attribute this response. Uh, I heard from somebody that I trust uh, within Royal Caribbean, but not somebody who was necessarily authorized to speak on company policy or anything like that. And um, I think what they said was, was sort of interesting. So uh, what it comes down to is that Royal Caribbean decided that they were going to take, for lack of a better way to put it, sort of the passive-aggressive response. Um, you know, all this comes about because we have um, state governments in Texas and in Florida that have uh, passed either laws or administrative rules that prohibit companies from... Uh, you know, requiring uh, proof of vaccination in order for people to uh, partake in their services. And so we've got some folks, including Norwegian Cruise Line at the moment, that are, are suing those states, um, saying that those statutes themselves are, are not legal. Um, Royal Caribbean took a little bit different tack, and they're saying, okay, fine. If that's the rule, that's the rule. We'll comply with it. But if we can't require people to tell us up front whether or not they've been vaccinated, what we can do is we can award privileges to people who voluntarily choose to provide us with their proof of vaccination. And so um, there are a whole series of things that Royal Caribbean has rolled out um, in the weeks after this uh, information was originally released that includes things like, um, you know, vaccinated guests will have uh, sort of free run of the public amenities of the ship, that people who choose not to provide their um, information about vaccination won't have. 
Um, similarly, people who provide proof of vaccination will have more excursion options. People who provide proof of vaccination uh, will, you know, there, there will be periodic testing during the cruise. Um, if you've been vaccinated, that testing is done at the cruise line's expense. If you have not been vaccinated or you've chosen not to uh, disclose your vaccination status, that's fine. You still have to be tested, but you pay for those tests yourself. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's an attempt, I think, by Royal Caribbean to find maybe a middle ground. Uh, we didn't have this information when we recorded the show. So, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I included that response from Royal Caribbean um, before we launch into a discussion that is at times pretty heavily critical of uh, at least what their initially announced approach was. I apologize if there are points at which it gets a little bit confusing. We did our best to untangle some things. Um, if there are things that are not clear, hey, please shoot us a message in the comments when we post this, either on Facebook or on the webpage itself. We would be happy to engage in an ongoing discussion about how we can all return to traveling in a uh, way that we can all have fun and we can also all remain as safe as reasonably possible while traveling. One, two, three, four. Good evening, and welcome back to the Diz Dads Podcast Plus. I'm your host, Aaron Ripmaster, and with me tonight to record Diz Dads Podcast Plus number 53 are my intrepid co-hosts, Willie Crocker. Hey guys, welcome back. And Tim Hicks. Oh, who me? Oh, hi. <laughs> Hello. Oh, and sorry. tonight we're welcoming a, a special guest. Dr. Kathy McNaughton Hance. Um, Dr. Hance, I've known Kathy. I think I've known you since we were about twelve, um, like middle school age. Uh, I knew her way before she was a doctor, but she's now a doctor and a master's in public health. And our topic tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the well, not a little bit, probably a lot about the um, current situation with uh, sort of responses, pandemic responses, and um, cruise lines, and and sort of the rush to normalcy, I guess is what I'll call it. Um, and uh, guys, you know, I'm going to stumble all over myself trying to introduce this because I don't know that there's an easy way to do it. Um, we, we had planned on this episode being something totally different, um, and then I ran across the... Uh, press release from Royal Caribbean Cruise Line from, um, they, they released it Friday evening. And 
they said in their press release that they're not going to be requiring all of the guests on the cruises that they restart at the beginning of July to be vaccinated after all. They'll encourage it, but they're not going to require it. Uh, it appears that this is in reaction to the um, you know, showdown with the governors of, of Florida and Texas that have pushed through um, you know, rules that uh, create penalties for businesses that try to establish uh, whether or not patrons have been vaccinated. Um, the Florida law imposes a $5,000 per violation uh, penalty. And I just wanted to, to have a conversation where, you know, we, we talked first about the, the, the facts here, because at this point, I'm too angry about it to be able to just talk rationally. And so I brought in Kathy to help us understand and to help everyone understand why it is that this is, is something to still be concerned about. Cause you know, it, it feels to some extent, we were just talking about this, like we were so close, we were almost there. And then we have decisions like this. So, um, you know, guys, feel free to interrupt me as you will. But Kathy, I, I want to start out with, um, you know, you sent us some images to um, reference, and, and I'm going to post these with the podcast. We'll have them available. Here's the first image that uh, Kathy wanted to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I think what Florida is seeing, this is happening across a lot of the country. Um, okay. So, and, and actually, Erin, you can just kind of flip through these. Um, you can see in the state of Florida, they've had like over 95,000 people hospitalized um, over the course of the pandemic. And you can go to that next image. Um, and that's just kind of giving you some um, ideas of, um, it's just giving you a brief surveillance of what's happening. Um, so you see your test positivity has actually declined. I think it's um, right around 4% or just less in Florida. And and that's actually a good sign. Um, it means that, um, you know, there's not as much transmission happening in the community. Um, and, you know, and they have ramped up their vaccinations. One thing that helps Florida is that they have a lot of elderly um people living there, you know, a lot of people retire in Florida. So um, they actually have a fairly large um, percent vaccinated because they have a lot of elderly people there. Um, and we're kind of seeing this across the country that a lot of the elderly populations have been vaccinated. Um, but then, you know, if you kind of look at this um, third slide, I think it's, you see the test positivity or the number of cases is actually kind of plateaued and it's actually starting to creep back up. Um, and I, I have my theories. I think that there, um, the studies are showing that there is a certain amount of protection from previous infection. Um, so about 80% of the people who are previously infected are not getting reinfected right away. Um, however, what the studies are also being very careful not to say is that this doesn't account for variants that are coming over from overseas. Um, 
So what we're hearing about now, what's happening in the United Kingdom, and we tend to trail Europe by about a month. Um, but the new, um, they're calling it a Delta variant now because they don't, they want to be politically correct. So the World Health Organization has renamed all of these variants. So the the variant that came out of India, they've now they're now calling it the Delta variant, right? So the original United Kingdom is considered um, the B117 is now considered Alpha. Um, Beta is considered the South African variant. And now we have Delta, which is this Indian variant. And so um, what's concerning about the Indian variant is that there, uh, it seems to be more transmissible. Um, and so when I look at viruses, and I tend to follow a lot of virologists and vaccinologists um, and people who are really kind of um, a little bit more internationally aware of what's happening. Um, but we tend to be more concerned about a virus that's more contagious as opposed to one that's more lethal necessarily. Um, and mainly being that we still don't have terrific drugs to treat COVID. Like for the really severely sick with COVID, um, there are still people dying every day. And, you know, so they're unlike, like if you're thinking about other airborne pathogens, like tuberculosis is a bacteria. It's a acid fast mycobacterial mycobacterium tuberculosis so so that's something that's airborne and it still kills about a million people every year um, but the big difference is we do have a vaccine for it um, we don't normally administer it here in the United States um, and we have lots of drugs to treat it so you see it in a lot of prison populations you see it in the HIV population so it tends to be um, more in areas where people are kind of immunocompromised living in groups um Kathy Kathy one of the things that I think um, we're hearing a lot from people is that you know covid at this stage oh. um, is is mostly treatable, right? Most people survive. And there seems to be a lot of downplaying of the fact that, you know, we understand we don't have any vaccines that we can give to somebody who's 12 or younger, but, you know, kids kids don't really get sick from this anyway. Right. Is what we hear a lot. Yeah. So... We're not really hearing that from the pediatricians. Um, there are three adult physicians that are kind of pushing that narrative. And the I don't think there has been an official released statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics yet. They are encouraging vaccinations for children who are 12 and older, so those that are eligible. Um, they're still encouraging that everyone stay masked in schools, which a lot of school districts are ignoring. Um, and, you know, when you look at that American Academy of Pediatrics and Children's Hospital Association reports, they report every two weeks. They are only reporting. So you have to understand how states collect data and then they send it in to the CDC or like the Children's Hospital Association. So you're only as good as the data that you receive. So they are only reporting hospitalizations from 24 states. 
So we are actually missing pediatric hospitalizations from 26 states. So that's over half half the the country. Yeah, so over half the country is not reporting. But in their database, they have reported over 15,000 hospitalizations. Um, There is actually a critical care pediatrician out of Texas Children's Hospital who he, you know, all the pediatric critical care docs, I mean, these kids have been coming in every month since the beginning of the pandemic. And some of them are getting very sick. And thankfully, not as many have died. Um, from their database, they report about a little over 300 have died by now. Um, and that's reporting from, I believe, 43 states. So we're still missing data from seven states. If you look at that database, if you look at what the CDC is estimating, because again, the CDC collects all of their data from all of the states and their health departments, and some of the states are better about being vague as far as age categories. Um So the CDC is estimating actually upwards of 460 pediatric deaths um, for the past 16 months. So if you look at that in context, there were, for the previous year, um, there were 188 pediatric influenza deaths, say for 2019. If you look at 2020, there was one. And in that same time span, there were over 300 pediatric COVID deaths. So I think it's really important to understand that this is not the flu. (laughs) It's not transmitted the same way. And so, again, flu is contained in respiratory droplets. It is a different virus family. And this... COVID-19 is a, it's in the coronavirus family or coronaviridae, and it is airborne or aerosolized. Um, well, and the reason I ask about it that way, Kathy, is that, that um, I, I think to me that gets to the heart of what concerns me about moving forward with with these cruises on cruise lines like Royal Caribbean that are, you know, they cater to families, they... Um, they, they count on, right, families of three and four filling their staterooms. And one of the reasons that people seem to say, well, the, it shouldn't be a big deal that we're not going to require people to be vaccinated is that they're saying, well, they're going to test everybody before they go on, get on board. And, um, you know, the, the adults, whatever proportion of those will be vaccinated Maybe, but but now we know that there will be at least some that won't be, and we have all of these kids that are twelve and under that can't possibly be vaccinated, and and so my concern is that you know if we if we estimate that maybe even a quarter, right, we, we go on the low end and we say twenty five percent of the people on on these cruises are kids twelve and under, you know, yes. if if even a quarter of the adults that are left are not vaccinated adults, I mean, mm-hmm. what's the risk to those kids who aren't even eligible to be vaccinated? Right, right. Well, and that's and that's a concern, absolutely. Um, you know, and I and again, getting back to their aerosolization, um, 
You know, the um, I don't know if you saw, I talked about the professor, he's at, public, he's at the Harvard School of Public Health now, um, and he had done his postdoctoral work at the Illinois Institute of, Institute of Technology. He was actually, I think, um, an engineering, uh, engineering professor, but now works in public health. And he actually ran over 20,000 models on the Japanese Princess cruise ship after it was, um, you know, after they came down with COVID, they were one of the first cruise ships, you know, to dock. Right. And, um, and he ran over 20,000 models on it. And so he's considered one of these kind of aerosol gurus. And there are about 200 in the world. And they come from different backgrounds. And, you know, and they all advised the World Health Organization as well as CDC a long time ago, back in February of 2020, that this was an airborne pathogen. And they were kind of having, I think, kind of discordant conversations. And so the WHO and CDC weren't really, I think they weren't thinking outside the box. They weren't really, they were going off kind of old information this and is so, actually a really interesting yeah. story, if you don't mind me interrupting, because I just I, I remember hearing it. And that that is mm-hmm. that a lot of this disconnect comes from the fact that the way that, that the medical community was defining aerosolization was based on a definition that was established in, you know, the 1950s or so. And right. the engineers used a mm-hmm. completely different definition in terms of the size of particles that you considered to be aerosol particles because it, it was a different yeah. just a different disciplinary background and the the medical community really had never updated to what the engineering community community was using and so in yeah. a lot of ways both sides were right but they were talking right. about different definitions of the same word Exactly. Right. So you have like specialists in one area kind of talking in this language, and then you have specialists in this area talking in this language, and there was very little overlapping. So, um, so the other, you know, and one good way like that I think about it too, is like most of the, most of the people in like airflow, like engineering kind of HVAC specialties. So, so those are the people that I've been talking with for the last over a year now. And my friends in architectural engineering, kind of same thing, you know, they're looking at airflow dynamics and, and really kind of more um, sort of in motion and not just like a stagnant concept. So um, one of them gave me a really good example of why he understands why an N95 mask works really well. And so when we talk about layers of protection, and yes, it's been established through over, I think, 70 scientific articles now that masks actually do work, um, despite, (laughs) you know, otherwise we'd be ripping off our masks in the operating room and (laughs) drool all over the place, but I don't think the patients want that. (laughs) So, so, um, So anyway, so he said, well, think of your N95 mask as a chain link fence. And he said, now, if you think of your little virion particle, um, you know, you know that this is the size of your tangling fence and you know that you're, let's say you take a ping pong ball and you know that it's smaller than the chain link fence and it can go through. Absolutely. 
Now stand back from the fence and start throwing the ball repeatedly. Throw one ball after another at the chain link fence. How many balls get through? And so that's a really good way to kind of visualize, like, you know, when you put on your mask, especially an N95 mask, and also for the person that's infected that may not know that they're infected um, for breathing out, too. So it works better if there's universal masking. So, um, but, you know, now that we've established maybe that we're down to a certain level of transmission, you know, is it still okay for everybody to go unmasked? And my argument would be no. We know our incubation time is up to 14 days asymptomatic, and that's the problem. So people can be walking around for two weeks kind of building virus, right, inside, never know it. And there are some people who don't have any symptoms, maybe just a little stuffy nose, but they're but they're infected and they are transmitting. So, so that's the reason we did universal masking for as many months as we did. Um, and were there not mutations already known about in different parts of the world, then we could probably say, yeah, we're probably fine. You know, we can probably start to get rid of the mask. However, knowing how positive other countries are and knowing that we have no safety checks on anyone coming into the country <laughs> and going out again. I mean, there are other countries like Finland, you know, they require a negative test prior to arrival, and then they will test people prior to flying back to the United States. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of fallen upon the airline industries and really the cruise industries too, to make sure that their passengers are disease free. Right. And I mean, the cruise lines are doing what they can, right? They've, they've, I know several of them have, have built their own labs, like on board, so that they can do their own, you know, testing, and they've expanded the medical staffs, and and that's all great stuff. Um, but but the part that just just irks me, and and it, and it gets me, you know, angry about all of this is that it seems like everybody who's talking about this issue of, you know vaccine passports and not requiring people to prove that they've been vaccinated and all of that, every argument they make seems to be based on, on some level or another, an adult experience and adults making, you know, mature informed consent decisions. And what gets me is that there are these kids that are sharing the same air, sharing the same space with them, who yes. who aren't making an informed choice, who don't no. know. And, and I think we're downplaying too much the impact on those kids. I mean, yeah, the fatality rates are lower, but I mean, talk about some of the, the and it'll be a long time before we know all of the answers to this, but maybe talk about some of the long-term health effects that we're seeing from pediatric COVID patients who recover. Yeah, I know uh, there have been a couple reports out about long COVID in kids. Um, and a lot of them, I think the biggest impact has been um, kind of neurocognitive. Um, so a lot of these kids are having trouble um, thinking, focusing in class, um, 
maybe not doing very well after they get out of the hospital. Um, and this kind of goes across the adult population to um, just a huge amount of anxiety. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, when they, so when these kids and these adults become seriously ill and require critical care, like stays in the hospital, um, we see what we call a lot of what we call sundowning in like elderly patients when they come into the hospital and they get really disoriented. They don't know when night is, they don't know when day is, you know, somebody's always messing with you every two hours. And so they're never left alone. Um, however, in the very small percentage of these kids that end up in the ICU, about 4% of them are on ventilators. Um, some of them are requiring heart-lung bypass, just like adults, um, because their lungs are kind of trashed or their heart's not beating very well. Um, so we've had some athletes that that's happened to. Um, and, you know, and just the trauma of having experienced that and being paralyzed, um, you know, because you have to be paralyzed. You can't move. Otherwise, if you rip any of that out, I mean, you can bleed to death in your bed. So, you know, so so we're very, very, it's very intense care. And, you know, just multiple drips lined up on these kids and, and adults. Um, but I think that it's really the neurocognitive that's really concerning. Um, there are also a lot of um, kids that were maybe star athletes like last spring and now they have trouble like walking walking to school. I mean, even walking around from class to class, they're short of breath. Um, a lot of them are just opting to stay online because it's just so much energy for them to even get to school and even walk around between the classes. So, yeah, we're we're definitely seeing. Um, we're going to see effects for years. Um, I know there have been increased rates of diabetes, um, both in children and adults. And again, I mean, this is going to take like cataloging, categorizing, seeing how these kids do like in six months and in a year and then 18 months and two years. And it's going to be the same way for the adults too. Um, they think worldwide there are probably about a million COVID long haulers right now. Um, and they'll find more. Um, there are, I, I want to say, I feel like I've seen the number maybe 100,000 just in the United States. And so, um, so and, and we'll know more. But again, it's going to take years to sort yeah. all of this out. Well, and even among, and, I think right? you're right. And I, pers I personally know a COVID long hauler that, you know, I, uh, I can't remember when she got sick. I think it was like uh, maybe January. And here we are in June, and she still has long-term effects that are not going away anytime soon, bless her heart. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Aaron, uh, Willie, do either of you know any long haulers? I don't, but I was reading about Kurt Herbstreet, who played for Ohio State in the 80s. He got COVID in late December. He still has no taste or smell to this day. And he's he's in great shape, like like you were saying that as a star athlete, this right. guy's in amazing shape. He's fifty one years old, and he is like telling people, "Look at the long term effects on me." Like for the people that aren't in shape, don't have the trainers, don't have the you know the access to all these things. This shows you how scary this disease, whatever you want to call it, you know virus, really is, and that's what people don't believe. And like we said on a cruise ship, it's a petri dish. 
Yes, it is. It's a floating petri dish. Well, okay. I, wait yeah. a second. I want to give them credit. They they're doing some really incredible things to to avoid yes. the accumulations. They've done a lot of work with the ventilation yes. system. Right. Agreed. They've had a year. They've like improved the HVAC. But, but they've before done... we before COVID, I mean, right. you you could get sick. Oh very yeah, yeah. Easily, before COVID, they, that was definitely something that you know some did much better than others. Put it that way. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, you know, my friend Joey was one of the one of the early uh, COVID patients because he's in New Hampshire, and and so you know got hit um, with with early wave. I mean, you think he was sick, you know, last March, um, and he he was one of the ones who was ventilated, and I mean, they didn't think he was going to make it. Um, he was one of the folks that they had to go and get an, an exception that allowed, you know. If I remember right, his story, they went through all this paperwork to get an exception to allow him to get um, the the uh, remdesivir treatment before it was even being used yeah. really experimentally. And he ended up actually being able to be extubated like just before they were able to even treat him. Um, he kind of hit, got to the other side before he needed it um, that nobody expected. But it's a year later and, you know, He's he still sees a, a speech therapist because he still has aphasia issues where, wow. yeah. you know, he knows the word. He just can't make it come out of his mouth. Right. And he's a salesman. Well, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's to me, that's the biggest differentiation between COVID and the flu for the people who keep making these inappropriate comparisons. <laughs> um the flu doesn't cause coagulopathies or like strokes, <laughs> you know, clots. It doesn't cause these ischemic events in um, like your limbs or your brain or your heart. It's, you know, um, so they've actually shown at the molecular level that the virus is causing endothelial damage. So these cells that are like lining your blood vessels, cells that are lining your solid organs. So, I mean, there's no question that this is a very different novel disease. And so again, like, you know, it's one thing to have the flu and even to be really, really sick with the flu and then, you know, supportive care and you come off and then you're like, oh yeah, it took me a month or two and now I'm better. But we're seeing people a year out who really have not regained like cognitive function. And, you know, and it's, and um, one of the vaccinologists that I do follow, he said, it's really a shame we couldn't have changed the conversation in the beginning um, because we know that like for cancer that, you know, there a lot of people think, well, why do some people get cancer and some people don't get cancer? And, you know, so there are these kind of genetic switches that we think get kind of turned on or turned off. So the nidus for most cancers is inflammation, right? So you can have things that you are environmental that can cause cancer. So it causes irritation and inflammation. And then kind of this, you know, the cells start to go a little dysplastic. Um, but infection can also do the same thing. And so he said, wouldn't it have been great if we could have started the conversation, put on a mask so you don't get cancer? Yeah. And I think people would have interpreted it and taken it in a lot differently. And I think we are going to see cancers from this probably 10 years down the road. We just don't know it now. Well, I think we're going to see more than just cancers. I think we're going to oh. see a lot of uh, uh, um, 
Autoimmune diseases. Thank you. That's where I was searching yep. for autoimmune diseases because oh, I mean, okay. I mean, even not just COVID itself, but even the mRNA. And I'm not trying to scare anybody away from the vaccine. Get vaccinated, yeah. but please. When you're talking about modified RNA, I mean, what effects does that have down the line? And I'm really glad that they are looking further into that. As uh, as uh, the husband of somebody that has, you know, some pretty advanced uh, MS um, mm-hmm. uh, symptoms, they're actually looking at. Uh, mRNA as a possible treatment for uh, MS and other autoimmune diseases. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this is this is actually, I don't want to say there's a good reason to have a pandemic, um, but one of the good things that can come out of that is the fact that we have been, you know, the platform for mRNA technology has been there for over a decade. And actually, the concept of it goes back 30 years to when I was sitting in my undergraduate virology class. I mean, we were talking about this in the 1990s. This is nothing new. So, so it is, it's exciting. I think the advances that have allowed us to get to this point and definitely to treat other autoimmune diseases, to treat cancers. Um, really the only reason mRNA vaccines haven't made it to market prior to now was side effects. You know, people didn't like the flushing that they had. They didn't like the way they felt after they took it. It wasn't necessarily a safety risk per se by profile. It was more that the people who were they were giving these vaccines to said, oh, it gave me a little diarrhea. I didn't like it. <laughs> and so so you have right. to. How yeah. many people have how many people have taken the COVID vaccine and they're like, oh man, the next day I was just trashed. I was worthless. I couldn't move. I could yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, including my son, who has never been sick a day in his life. Uh-huh. He's never he, he, the only time he was ever on antibiotics was um when he had to have tubes in his ears, and that was precautionary. So he's never had to be on anything like that. And he got the Johnson Johnson one shot. And boy, did he 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 called me. He actually called me from his room at five in the morning. Dad, I feel horrible. I can't breathe. I'm I'm, I'm dying over here. <laughs> okay. It's a one day thing. Day passed. He was fine. Yeah. And now he's vaccinated. Right. Just yeah. imagine what he could have had if he had contracted COVID. Exactly. That's what it's I like, try to tell people. Why yeah. don't you take that and multiply it times 30? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah. And put <laughs> yeah. yourself on a ventilator because of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I will. I will take a day in bed feeling kind of icky versus a day on a ventilator in an ICU any time. Every day. Well, everyone wants those days in bed. I mean, they all like, oh, I'd, I'd pay anything to have a day off and lay in bed and do nothing. And then when, <laughs> when they get a shot, they're like, oh, that ruined my whole life. I'm like, it didn't. It's yeah. protecting you and it's protecting me. And you, you lost one whole day that you didn't get to watch, you know, Shit's Creek or one of those shows for 12 hours straight. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Or work even. I mean, okay, work's not going to miss you for a day. It's going to be okay. Well, that was what something I was going to bring up when Kathy was talking about people that work two jobs. They're, they're, they can't afford to miss that day of work right. because – of the chance and the the people that over dramatize the how sick they were when they got their vaccine that makes people scared to go get the vaccine and that's a big problem but right. if you can't afford to miss one you certainly can't afford to miss 45 being in the hospital right correct exactly yeah yeah we have kids in our school district who have lost a parent or two and they are now 
going to work, um, minimum wage jobs, because that's all they can do. And so, um, so they're, they're actually the teachers have been great. And one huge benefit of online schooling is they've tried to rearrange their class schedules so that they can get what they need to graduate because they're helping pay their family's mortgage right now. And, you know, I, I think in their averaging, I think they're saying like, um, for kids, is it 12 and older or maybe 10 and older, like one in a thousand have lost a parent or guardian to COVID-19. And that is I mean, so sad. It, it is staggering. And, you know, and you think about the lifelong impact of losing a parent as a child. And I mean, I just, I don't even think, yeah, it's, it's someplace most people can't go in their minds. Well, you talk about being forced to like grow up and become an adult. Uh, imagine being 11 and being in that situation. I mean, that's like, that's like, you know, okay, 150 years ago, they had situations like that. It's preventable. It is preventable. Yes. yes. If you do, if you do all the right things and if your society does all the right things, it doesn't have to, nobody has to die. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, and, it, and what's real sad, I don't know if you saw that 36-year-old, um, I think she was a special ed teacher in Ohio that just passed away last month from COVID-19. And so, again, like, I mean, all of our teachers were vaccinated by March. And so I don't know if she declined vaccination, if she didn't really understand what was going on. Um, if she did, that's really a failure of kind of public health education, which has been abysmal in our country. Um, but it, and also, you know, and then, and then, um, I was going to mention there is a preprint study out, um, covering nine hospitals. Um, and they did genomic sequencing on, I don't know how many, gosh, it was hundreds of kids, um, that were admitted for COVID and they found that they had much higher rates of the variants of concern. So the variants that tend to be a little bit more resistant to our vaccines. And so kids are really, you know, they may be silent and they may just be carriers of the um, virus itself. And so unless we are testing them, we won't ever know. So... Well, you're right. And let, let me uh, throw a scenario out there. And this is just a worst case thing, you know, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. I'm not whining. But my wife, like I said, she's got a variant of MS. Uh, we have had our vaccines. But since we had our vaccines, she has had one of her treatments, which basically wipes out her complete immune system. I mean, completely wipes it out. So I've got a, you know, there's a 10 year old kid somewhere that goes to school and he's, you know, he is a carrier of uh, COVID-19 because his parents refused to get vaccinated. Right. He brings that onto the cruise ship and he's sitting like back to back with my wife. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm sorry. I'm just, I've got a big problem with that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the whole problem with not having our entire population vaccine eligible at this point. Um, you know, it's cause it's one thing if you say, well, you know, I'm making a choice you know, and I've done all, everything I can to protect my family. Um, but when that's not even being checked and now suddenly you're in a closed environment and <laughs> yeah, I, I think what that does is like for people like me, I've just stopped going places 
So, cause I'm not going to go someplace that I'm going to possibly endanger my younger kids. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm healthy, but that doesn't mean I'm not carrying it. Right. So, I mean, so I, why would I take on additional risk on top of already going to work? I'm not going to go out and spend money. I'm not going to go, <laughs> you know, well, and, and maybe that's where online shopping. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's where we get back around to kind of where I started with all of this and, and what makes me so animated and so frustrated with it is that, that all of this really just comes down to us being willing to admit that when it, when it comes to a communicable disease, we all have responsibilities towards each other. You can't protect yourself from a communicable disease. It doesn't work, no matter what you do. We have to all protect each other, or it, it loses. We lose containment. And and what really struck me, and what was so angering about essentially seeing, you know, public servants, right, the governors in two states, you know, intimidating major corporations into changing policies in ways that are fundamentally less safe. It, it just, it, it, it's a utter failure in leadership. And it's not about party here, folks. I could care less. It, it's right. if you're, it, I, I can't think of any time anywhere in our history, and, and you know public health better than I do, but I can't think of any time anywhere in our history that we have had leadership that acted intentionally to prevent private companies from taking positive measures to protect public health. I, I just, I can't right. think of one. Mm. Well, there's yeah. a couple of things I want to interject here. Um, just like uh, polio and smallpox, when I was six and was going into school, I had to have those shots, period. I, yeah. I couldn't go in without. The other thing I want to bring up, though, and this is what really makes this an, an interesting uh, case, particularly with like Royal Caribbean and cruise lines, that that's all they have are cruise ships. It's not like Disney where they have the parks and other uh, outlets. Uh, Disney Plus, what have you. You're talking about an industry where there are companies that that's all they do, and they're losing billions of dollars every day with uh, with ships that are floating in the water with nobody on them. Uh, I, I understand that that's a conundrum, uh, but I don't think jeopardizing public health for the almighty buck is the right thing to do either. Right. Well, and if anything – that what that will do is it will drive away the smart people. <laughs> you, you know what I yes, mean? Yes, this is exactly it. This I is the other concern gonna, is that you're going to scare away the people who are being careful. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and the people who ultimately over time are probably going to be the clientele that you want to attract <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the clientele that you don't want to attract. Spot on, Kathy. Spot on. So, so I'm, I'm really, yeah, I, I'm with you, Aaron. I, I feel like it's so obvious um, what is happening when people speak out against public health measures, and, and just the, um, the amount of really kind of cluelessness that seems to be pervasive or 
people who think that they understand the context of pandemics, but they've never really studied them and they don't understand and they're confusing their rights with their responsibilities. And, well said. and yeah, and, and you hit it, especially Aaron, that whole, um, I think adults failing to understand what their responsibilities are to society. Um, you know, our country only works if we all do the right thing. So when, when we have people who deliberately choose to go against that, be it out of kind of ignorance or just because they just don't care, um, you know, there are several um, moms groups down in, in several states across the country. You know, they've been sending text messages around in the early parts of the pandemic to have COVID parties for their children. Um, kind of like it's like the same silly people that have chicken pox parties for their children, you know, really just like, to get it over with. Exactly. Yeah. Really not understanding. And the sad thing is there's even a chicken pox vaccine available now. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've already had shingles and I did not enjoy it. I had chicken pox when I was a kid. I, I was out of school like five days. Oh, and yeah. like, I mean, I still have two scars oh, from yeah. where I picked. Yes. And, and I it and hurt. I, yeah. And I still have a scar too. But more importantly, so... You know, and I, I don't know if you've had to take care of your parents, but my parents had shingles outbreaks and they are painful. And this is, you know, because you have this sort of latent virus that then kind of resides in your system. Who knows what's going to happen with SARS-CoV-2? You know, who knows what we're going to see in 40 years from now? So, again, but, I mean, you know, why would you why would you commit someone to a life of that? <laughs> I mean, to, to, to be crass about it. If you, if you knew there was a restaurant where they had the sign up in the bathroom that says employees must wash hands before returning to work, but they had a rule that the boss wasn't allowed to check and see whether the employees are actually washed their hands, would you ever eat in that restaurant? No. Not at all. I mean, it's that simple. <laughs> I can take that so far down the line, Aaron. I can take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing that requires me to cook this chicken to the appropriate temperature. There's no, you know, there's no absolute positive. You must have it's this. It's my this right. Time. I can do it. Right. I, I can want. eat raw That's chicken right. if I want. Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, and it's interesting that you bring up restaurants because that is, you know, that's one of the arms of public health. Right. I mean, all restaurants have regular inspections. They have certain codes that they have to meet, you know, in terms of safety or their employees slipping, you know, is there, are they monitoring the temperature, the cook temperature of their foods? Are they timing it? Are they throwing it out when they're supposed to, you know, how it expires? Um, you know, all those things are checked on by public health officers. And, you know, so there's always kind of this tension between public health and then business, you know, because people want their businesses to stay open. But it's like, well, you can't be, you know, allowing people to get foodborne illnesses just because you want to make a few dollars off of them. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. The not acceptable trade-off. Right. 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 All right. Uh, well, I think we probably... I think a few things also... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Willie. When we had a you know, a fearless leader mocking the health system. You know, I mean, it was like, we have to open, we have to open, we have to do this, we have to do that. And not realizing how serious 
the situation really was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I mean, we were talking about today, we were at a, at a local pool with the kids and we were like a year ago, we were talking about, oh, we'll be closed only two weeks and then things will be reopened and we'll just be fine and it'll all go away. And here we are a year and a half later. And I mean, I'm lucky I'm in a state. I just looked it up. We have 191 cases so far today. Wow. We have. Um, and it's sad to say that that's really great. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Only 191. But we're excited for that. And then I looked up. We have. No, I'm sorry. I was incorrect. 126 new cases, four new deaths. And we own, and we only have 178 hospitalized. Which is huge. I mean, we have seven, almost seven million people in our state, and we're down to 0.06 percent. But we're also we're close to, if not leading the country in vaccinations by population. Yeah. Right. But if you're one of those 178 in the hospital, what is your position, right? Exactly. Yes. Well, and you know, and it's yeah, it's interesting that you say that too. Um, I told my kids a year ago in March. I I said to them, we all need to relax for a year because it's going to take time to sort this out. And what I want us to do is I want us to be healthy. I want us to stay calm. And I want you to understand that we're all going to have to be very, very patient. And we're going to let this play out. And you're going to have to just be nice to your teachers because they're doing the best they can. And we're going to go. We're going to get you know, we'll, we'll maybe pick up some food at restaurants. And I mean, and I'll, I mean, I'll leave a $50 tip when I leave, you know, I, I don't eat there. I don't want to sit down. I don't want to be in the <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> but I, but I will tip very generously on my way out the door. Yep. Um, you know, but, but again, like, but, and I was telling one of my kids teachers this, I said, you know, I told my kids a year ago, this is going to take a minimum of a year to sort out. And I'm just, I'm so appalled and saddened at the lack of education that went on from day one to not have reasonable expectations and timelines laid out. Because, I mean, quite frankly, so Willie, when you were saying that about, you know, just a couple of weeks, I was like, that's not at all what I was talking to my kids about. And, you know, and, and I, and I wish that, I wish there had been reasonable like educational broadcasts going out every day. Um, that's one thing that I think um, Chancellor Merkel did very well in Germany. Um, she actually had like a daily or at least a weekly kind of educational um, missives to the nation to say, this is where we're at. This is what we know. This is where we're going. And, and it wasn't, it didn't take long, but I, I felt like she did a very good job of kind of leading and saying, this is, you know, she was listening to her scientists and she was saying, okay, what kind of policies can we make to make this work for our people? And I never felt that here in the United States. What happens no, when you if have you leaders at, you're looking at social media. Yeah. When you're looking at social media, you know, the amount of misinformation <laughs> that is being proclaimed as the facts and the truth, it's really, it's, it's not just saddening. It's actually alarming. Yes. Well, I mean, we had someone tell us that it would be gone by Easter as a high-ranking uh, figure who... Supposed to be trustable. Trustable, and said it will be gone by Easter. Right. And obviously Easter came and went, and the numbers 
kept going up right. because they mocked it and they didn't want to wear masks. And right. Well, and, and yeah. I guess as we as we need to try and kind of wrap this up a little bit, I, I think that what that gets us back around to is that you know we are so close at this point, right? We we have effective vaccines that are now readily available and at least in in our communities i'm pretty sure in in tim's as well i know in willie's and in mine that you know if you're 12 or over you could walk in and get a, a vaccine tomorrow um wouldn't be any problem yeah, to get your first you know, first shot or to go finish your cycle if you've already started it's readily available to me, the fact that that's true, and that's true in most communities around the country, and we don't have a single state yet that has more than 50% of its population vaccinated, is is really the part that makes me nervous. Because, <laughs> because like I keep saying, yeah. you know, let's not be spiking the ball at the 10-yard line here. It's so close, folks. Right. Get your vaccine. Yeah. Your friends yeah. who are resistant, send them to get the vaccine. Because... The sooner that the people who can be vaccinated get vaccinated, the lower the risk is for all those other folks who can't be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I really wish this had been a state-by-state metric for the rollout of taking away the masks. And I really wish, the other big wish that I have is that the exceptions had been listed first before the kind of crazy media went with, oh, everybody can throw away their masks, because that wasn't the message that was yeah. um, delivered. And that was intended, the message, no. yeah, the, the message was incorrectly sent. And it should have been, you may only take off your mask if you are fully vaccinated. Yes. Um, but again, like we weren't even at 50% fully vaccinated when they sent that out. It's, it's just, right. yeah, it's, it was really poor public health. Well, and actually, that, Aaron, that's a good, correct you. a good example. The other thing that I, that to me, you know, and, and maybe I'm weird thinking in those terms, but it seems to me that talking about the fact that if you get vaccinated, you can take off your mask. Right. That's the kind of incentive that gets people to actually go and get their vaccine. You know, if you get vaccinated, we will remove these things that are uncomfortable and in the way because they're not as necessary. And, and by the same token, it seems to me perfectly reasonable to say, and, and it, it had the potential, you know, we know there are a lot of people who really love to cruise to be able to say, you know what? We'd love to have you back on a cruise ship. Get vaccinated. Right. There's your incentive. Right. Um, Right. I mean, that's gone now. Uh, that that isn't going to happen. It's not going to be an incentive because this, even even if this is what am I? Other cruise lines continue to, to require it. You know, there's there's always an out, and so they're not really missing anything if they refuse to get vaccinated. This is one of my huge concerns about it too, Aaron. Is that uh, it only takes one major screw up to ruin it for all of us. I know I've got a personally got a cruise planned. I think we all have clients that are uh, planning for cruises and it's only going to take one 
uh, situation of uh, Royal Caribbean not being able to dock anywhere because the boat's half full of COVID patients, that is going to just mess it up for for all of us for who knows how long. Well, to give CDC a little bit of credit, that shouldn't be able to happen now because part of the CDC's return to sale rules is requiring each cruise line to have agreements and a plan in place if the uh, infection rate on board gets above a certain threshold, then they have to stop what they're doing and basically implement the emergency plan that includes uh, an advanced agreement that allows patient or allows uh, passengers to uh, get off of the ship. So, yeah, to disembark. Yeah. So at least we have a plan um, now, but yeah, I wanted to get that out there. So I have a question. Um, so do you know, as far as the Disney cruises go, like, are they going to then require, say, two negative tests, like one at 10 days pre-sale and another one within 72 hours of pre-sale? Or I, we, don't do have, see? I mean, we don't have specific procedures yet. Yeah, um, I, I that might help. Yeah, Disney's been pretty quiet, right? I think Disney is is, 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 when it comes to the cruise line. It seems Disney is is trying really hard not to be first. (laughs) They want to let somebody else. They don't want to be on the bleeding edge. I think Disney. I think they've done. I think they've been smart, and you know, I think they've done a lot of things well, and so I would expect that they will continue to be smart about how they allow people back on board. Um, so, and I, you know, and so my feeling is, well, if your kind of local governance isn't allowing you to require vaccination, um, I think it's okay to require multiple tests. Right. Cause then the onus is kind of on the person that's buying the tickets, right? you know, and yeah, it may be a little inconvenient, but I mean, if you're already paying that much money for a cruise, like, aren't you kind of vested in it anyway? Is it that big of a deal to go get tested? No, it probably it's isn't. And, and, and that's exactly where up. they're headed. I mean, I know Royal Caribbean has already talked about, you know, they're going to have a, a testing regimen in place. I know that they have mm-hmm. labs on some of their ships now. Um, so that'll help. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've never been... I've never been one to be um, impressed with testing as a substitute for vaccination. You know, test testing is helpful. It's good information, yeah. and and right. that's fine. But it doesn't actually prevent anything, uh, right? I mean, the best I, it can do is give you some awareness. Right. Testing is a good thing, but it doesn't replace washing your hands before you return to cook on the line, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can get around that at all. I mean, so. to be you know fair, that they do have a bit of a um, a dry run, I guess you could call it, because they did have um, rapid testing facilities set up. Um, at Walt Disney World, uh, and they were doing rapid testing on demand for both uh, cast members and guests um, in two different locations. Um, And, and, you know, that seemed to actually work quite well. So, um, you know, 
they, they at least have some have some experience with it, and you know they can take it with them to port. Well, that that, that brings up one last topic I wanted to toss before we wrap up for the night, and that's the international aspect. To the extent that. Uh, for example, the cruise I'm going on has ports of call in Cozumel, in Grand Cayman, and in Jamaica. If those countries, those countries say uh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't pull up and dock here if you're not vaccinated, I mean that's going to uh, have an impact on the cruise line as well, don't you think? You know, I think what they'll do is they're going to change ports. Well, they can do that to some extent, the but there's only so many ports. And what what's interesting mm-hmm. to me is that, you know, the state of Florida can say that you can't require um, somebody to prove that they've been vaccinated to get on your ship. That's fine. But the state of Florida doesn't have any authority over the government of Grand Cayman or Jamaica or the Dominican Republic or Mexico. And if Jamaica says... And Jamaica's pretty tight about that right yeah, now. If Jamaica says you got to show proof of vaccination before you get off the ship, then that's the rule. And, you know, maybe you're on board and you can't get off if you can't show proof of vaccination. And that would just have to be communicated clearly to the people that are booking their cruises. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, it puts the onus on us to communicate with people and say, you know, and, and to some extent, frankly, we do it Mm -hmm. already. I mean, you know, we, we, I think we all have guests who insist on taking advantage of the, you know, Western hemisphere agreement exception and, you know, cruising without a passport over our advice that that's ridiculous and that they should just get a passport. Um, but you know, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it didn't, it hadn't even dawned on me yet, but you know, no matter what Florida says and even, you know, Royal Caribbean saying, okay, fine, you know, we aren't going to make people prove it. Neither of those folks have any authority over the governments of all these uh, Caribbean port nations that have exactly. strong incentives to require people to be vaccinated because if you know if we import a new strain or we import an outbreak to them um you know their their economies are 80 percent tourism in some cases and they can't afford to be devastated again right that's my point i can't see bermuda just as an example letting anyone in without a vaccine like it's too rigid there like i mean they're not even like letting anyone in and out of the country like their own residents are like if you leave you have to stay at a hotel for 14 days like yeah it's not it's not a joke you know i think i think it's a pretty well-known story that uh the girlfriend of an athlete that went to uh, a competition in jamaica was supposed to be uh, quarantined in her hotel room for 14 days and she decided not to she attended the sporting event she got arrested yes this that's that's trouble you just don't want to have when the simple solution is go get a free vaccine yes <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree you know i i think that um we have a lot of people from the United States, especially, um, 
who don't understand that other countries' laws actually mean something. <laughs> right. Because we're Yankees, you know, right? Because, yeah, because we, we seem to live by the rule of exceptionalism. Like, we're all kind of exceptional and, oh, that that that's the law, but it doesn't apply to me. And, you know, and, I, and, and how we ever got to the point where we're all so special, I'm not really sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're Americans. Right. But but I can tell you I'm pretty sure most of the other countries really haven't missed us. <laughs> so. no, they don't. They've missed the tourism dollars, but they, they have they not missed the problems. The right. They've missed the dollars, but they haven't missed the Americans. Yeah, they miss the dollars, exactly. but they don't miss the lack of sense. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think overall, guys, really what we're saying here is, yeah, we're a travel podcast. But, you know, sometimes real life gets in the way. And, and if you don't do the things you got to do in real life, it starts to impact the fun life, too. Um, we, we are desperately hoping that this is the beginning of the rebound of the travel economy, not just for our businesses, but because, you know what, <laughs> the, the, as long as we're talking about health data, the data shows that people who travel are happier and healthier than people who don't. Um, and they don't get to do that if we continue to have disease outbreaks that lock us down. And the best way out of that is for us to all work together and to cooperate so that we can get out to the other side safely. So, um, you know, we're all going to be watching this going forward. Um, I don't expect we'll probably do another show solely devoted like this for quite a while. Hopefully not. But um, obviously it'll continue to be in the background for some time um, because, you know, even if we return to sailing in July, like many of these cruise lines are looking to do, it doesn't mean this is all over. It doesn't mean that we don't have to pay attention to it anymore. Um, so with that said, uh, just wanted to, to wrap up by thanking our special guest, um, Dr. Kathy McNaughton-Hance. Kathy, thanks so much for spending time with us here on short notice and, you know, th throwing you into the deep end <laughs> without time to prepare. I know that the know, professionals hate we, that. We have so enjoyed it. We have so enjoyed it. I've, yeah, I have really literally good. hung thank on every word. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, uh, I was joking around. I, I told a couple friends yesterday, I said, you know, I gave a talk called The Importance of Public Health about six years ago. And I literally, like, put every single person to sleep in the audience. <laughs> like, <laughs> by about my sixth slide in, there were a couple people drooling. And yes, right. And, like, yeah, one yeah, of the guys yeah, fell yeah. out of his chair in the back by the time I hit my 20th slide. And, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If, if, if one of us had fallen from our chairs, it would have been from a, it would have been because of what we were drinking, not because you put us to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, and and thank you for thanks for the invitation, Aaron. And it, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Thank you. It was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Well, until next time, uh, I've been your host, Aaron Ritmaster, with our special guest, Kathy McNaughton Hance. My co-hosts, Willie Crocker. Have a wicked wild night. And Tim Hicks. We'll see you real soon.
I don't play a damn. I don't play a damn thing, man. I don't play a damn. I don't play a damn thing, man. Damn. 